I don't know if you know this, but for fans of this podcast, you actually have some notoriety. For better or for worse, until now, you've been the ferret guy. And that's fair. (laughs) Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning. Welcome back to the pod. Today's episode, a little bit navel-gazy. I'm just going to get in front of it. If you recall a while back, Ian and I did these long-form interviews about our entire backstory. Today's app is a little bit of a continuation of that. We're going to tell our own story, talk about one of the most exciting things that happened in our business recently, which is we came to work with today's guest, Greg. And it was a really unique hire for us because I'll try to explain it this way. like We couldn't afford Greg until we hired him. So I don't know if this is like unique to service business, something we're learning, but maybe it's just a mindset limitation we've had over the years. But the capabilities that Greg unlocked in our business were so powerful that we were able to afford him once we brought him on the team. So I don't know. Does that make sense or not? We're going to dig into the story a little bit so you can judge for yourself. And along the way, we're going to share some timely hiring tips for remote companies in 2021, which is what Greg's expertise is. At the end of the episode, I'm going to loop back to share some strategic notes about how we're doing this. But first, let's start with the story and the details, and then I'll zoom back in at the end of the episode. So today, we're going to be introducing you to Greg, who is our senior recruiter at Dynamite Jobs. And he's been brought on really to help us become the go-to place for finding remote staff, not just finding them via recruiting, but by a variety of services and products that we'll be cooking up in the coming months and let's cross our fingers years. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And also, even if you're not using a service like DJ, we're going to try to share some useful things for anyone advertising jobs, interviewing candidates, that includes where we're looking for them and how we decide whether or not they're a good fit. Also some timely stuff like what skills are in hot demand at the moment, And just a 180 view from hiring from someone who has been up close in person in this world for over a decade. My name's Greg, and I've been doing recruiting for almost 15 years now. Where are you based? I'm based in Virginia, outside of Washington, D.C. Grew up here, left for a little bit to go to San Diego and been back um, the last 15 years. So Greg, I don't know if you know this, but for fans of this podcast, you actually have some notoriety because this might sound unbecoming, but for, for better or for worse, until now, you've been the ferret guy. And that's fair. <laughs> so the reason I decided to move to San Diego was I'd always kind of uh, liked the idea of uh, living in California. I got the idea with a good friend of mine who is uh, also graduating, who I grew up with. We packed up the U-Haul and we pulled it behind Greg's truck. And then I also had a car and we had Greg's ferrets with us. The ferrets are these <laughs> these little cute animals, kind of rat-like, but much longer. I guess the interesting thing about ferrets is they're illegal in California. And so that 
becomes an issue once we get to the California border. Funny thing is, I remember listening to that episode and I think, you know, I sent Ian a text and I was like, man, I made it onto the podcast. But yeah, for some reason, I got two ferrets in college. So we had to smuggle them in, in some blankets crossing the border. And then we got there trying to find a place to live. We stayed in the hotel. And we check in and this is the perfect place to let the ferrets run around because they've been in the truck for the past week almost. And we decide that we need to go out and get some dinner. So we put the uh, do not disturb tag on the outside of the hotel door. We go out to dinner and we come back and the tag is off the door, open the door and the ferrets are gone. We asked the staff if they'd been in there. They said, yes. We asked them if they'd seen the ferrets. They said, no. And so eventually we call animal control. Someone had called them in. Basically, animal control says ferrets are illegal in California. We are going to euthanize them unless you get them on a plane in the next couple of days. And so Greg put his ferrets on a plane and they traveled back to Virginia. So I no longer had any ferrets and I don't think I ever saw that ferret again. <laughs> <laughs> and what is your uh, connection with Ian? Yeah, one of my best friends. We went to uh, middle school together and then high school together and then a little bit of college. So we've been friends since we were, you know, probably 14 years old. Was it difficult to leave Southern California when you decided, you know, it was time to go back home and sort of... Yeah, I guess a little bit. You know, I had a girlfriend that I've been with for a couple of years now and she kind of not really said this, but like, hey, like, you coming back home or not, so... I just decided I didn't really have a whole lot going on in San Diego at that point. I was still parking cars and working restaurants, which which I love. Nothing wrong with that. I just thought it was time to go back home. What did you think was going to happen to Ian at that point when you walked out? I thought he was going to cry. I think I took him to his favorite restaurant and I kind of broke the news to him. I think we had some good laughs about it. I told him, like, I was like, hey, I might come back in a couple years, though. And then I never came back. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, tell us about how your career started. What was your break? I remember this. Like when you're scanning job posts and all the jobs say that like you need to have experience. You don't have that experience. How did you get through that that hurdle, so to speak? Yeah, I had an interesting situation. So I, I think I just I got really lucky when I found this job um that I'd been at for a long time. I didn't know what recruiting was. I didn't know what staffing was. I didn't know it was like a career. But when I moved back east, my girlfriend at the time, um, now my wife, she was actually babysitting for one of the founders of the recruiting company. And she said, hey, my boyfriend's moving back. Are you guys looking to hire a recruiter? And then at the same time, one of my good friends from college, he had just joined that company about a year before me, and he put a good word in for me. So I, it kind of fell into my lap. So if you don't have a lot of experience, referrals is probably one of the best ways to go. So many recruiters churn out of the profession. What was it about you that allowed you to be sustainable and, and have success with it? So I'm a competitive person. I think you kind of have to be in like any type of sales role, any kind of recruiting role. I liked adding value at the end of the day. Like I liked placing people that were really like awesome at what they did. They're really cool people. Like I would build a little bit of a relationship with them. Sometimes I would talk to the, somebody for the first time but not really help them find a job till 12 months later. Um, and I like to stay in touch with those people just because 
they were similar to me. Like it was easy to hold a conversation with them. So I think a lot of it's, you know, how hard, how hard you work, but then also like building relationships, wanting to add value by helping people find jobs, but then also helping companies find really good people. Have there been things that you've observed that have changed about recruiting over your career thus far? More recently, of course, the remote stuff. All companies are high and remote, but prior to that, there really haven't been a lot of changes. It can be stressful. It can be very time consuming. You know, they're not able to attract the best talent. So they want to work with companies who can help them do that. When things went remote, what happened there? A couple things. I think the candidate pool opened up. Like there's more people, you know, usually in traditional recruiting, when there was no remote work, you had to stay within a 50 mile radius of the person you were trying to, you know, find to, to join the company. So your pool of candidates was fairly small. And especially depending on the location of the country, like it could be even smaller. But when remote opened up, you had the whole country or outside of the country to find the best talent. So you would be able to talk to a lot more people that were just as good. And, you know, you'd have access to a lot more candidates once, you know, companies started letting people work from anywhere. It's also been a little bit of a loss for what we're calling internally remote first companies. So, you know, there's like traditional companies that are maybe even technology companies that always had an office and always had that kind of culture. And now they're hiring remote people. And that's a little bit different than a company who was founded on those principles. But those companies that were founded on those principles are now kind of competing with traditional companies. Yeah, that's on the flip side. Like remote, when there were only a few companies that were hiring remote, like that was a huge bonus. Like, so you would have a pick of a lot of the best, you know, candidates that were out there for each skill set. But now what we're seeing is that everybody's hiring remote. So there's a lot more competition. So instead of candidates, maybe only having like one or two remote companies to look at, you know, now they could potentially have 10 to 20 companies that they're looking at. So it's good for the candidates right now where they have access to a lot more opportunities with really cool companies. But now it makes it a little more challenging for the companies to find the right person as well, because um, there is so much competition out there. In some ways, it's just we're getting more granular. One word that's been tossed around a lot is like async. So like, you know, synchronize would be like you install a little tracking pellet on your computer and like your employer makes sure you sit at your desk for eight hours a day. And there's a showing up versus like a results orientation. So I do think like remote companies are being forced to like push their value proposition and make it clearer rather than just rely on the old crutch of, you know, live anywhere kind of thing. Yeah, I think a lot of companies, what I'm noticing, it's kind of you mentioned it is results driven. You know, if you can get your job done in 20 hours and you're good at it, then they're fine. Even like before COVID and remote and all that, like the best companies to work for were the ones that weren't micromanaged. Even though you had to be in an office, like everybody's an adult, you know, you show up, you get your work done, you're going to have the support that you need from us. But I'm not going to be clocking your hours. Like, I don't expect you to be here at eight o'clock every day. You don't need to stay to five. Like if you have a kid's soccer game to go to, like step out, you don't need to tell me where you're going. Now, um, I think the companies to work remotely for have the same mindset. And I think candidates are starting to realize that. Today's show is sponsored by Ecom CFO, a service exclusively for e-commerce brands. Here's Ecom CFO's founder, Sam Hill, to tell you a little bit more about what they offer. Most of our clients are right on the cusp 
They really need a lot of finance help, but they can't afford a $150,000 CFO right now. So we're in that perfect sweet spot of at least a million dollars of sales, you know, somewhere less than 50. And you're really good at marketing. You're really good at operations. And you kind of know what's going on with finance, but you need a fresh perspective and you need a dedicated person leading you through a financial strategy and execution of your current projects and everything else going on that touches the P&L and balance sheet. All of our clients know that we are just a Slack message away. At the end of the day, if it touches the P&L or the balance sheet, we do it within reason. How cool is that? I love hearing from the sponsor directly. If you want to learn more, you can hear from Sam over at ecomcfo.co. And an enormous thanks to Sam and his team for sponsoring the show. How did it unfold that we started to work together? Yeah, obviously, Ian, been good friends with him for a long time. We've stayed in touch and followed the dynamite circle for a long time. You know, we just started talking and I guess been three or four years now to where Dynamite Jobs took off. And he was just kind of asking me questions about like job boards and recruiting in general. And as kind of the years went on, we just started talking more in depth about it. And I recall one early conversation like in March when COVID first hit, we like called you on a video conference. It was like this first kind of like official thing where like you were just like downloading your knowledge onto us and we were trying to like implement it on the platform somehow. That's right. I remember that. It's a little bit of a new world to me where like it was everything was going remote. It was kind of away from traditional recruiting. One thing that really excites me about Dynamite Jobs too is just the type of companies that we work with to where they just seem to get it. Like they want to hire the right people. And then so there was like that video conference and then like you started showing up to our team calls. Yeah, I think Ian was like, hey, could you make it? I was like, of course. You know, I'd hear what was going on and I'd try and give some insight. And then I was getting excited about it. And I like I was looking forward to joining those calls and hearing what was going on with the company and, and the changes and the updates and the momentum that you guys were having. So that momentum was a lot of it was traffic to our platform and the excitement of people in our network about the opportunity to find great candidates on our platform. But it didn't solve everybody's problems. So the, so the kind of aha moment was we had a, a few clients who were like, look, like, I don't want to use your website. I'm too busy. Like, it takes too much time to run these hiring campaigns. Yet, you know, maybe a 20% of the candidate's first year salary, which is like what a lot of traditional recruiters charge. And plus, a lot of these recruiters are a little bit out of touch with remote first. We felt like maybe, hey, there's like a room for like a flat rate like we can do a hiring campaign on your behalf done for you product. And that was a big aha moment and really required the expertise of someone like Greg for us to execute on. A lot of these campaigns are for really high level candidates and we need someone really experienced to deal with those high level candidates and high level clients. And that's the moment we brought on Greg to start honing that offering. So I, so I asked Greg to pull back that black box a little bit and outline his process for finding the right candidates for this service and for any job in general? So a good discovery call is first understanding the role and the skill set that somebody's trying to hire for, kind of figure out like a little bit about the company and 
the size of the company and maybe why they're hiring, kind of why there's a need for this person. Is it a growth? You know, did somebody leave the position? Is it just an additional headcount? And then also some of their pain points, like have they been trying to hire somebody before? Are they having issues with like not getting enough qualified candidates? You know, are they not, are they finding good candidates, but the salary's off? So really just understanding like what they're trying to hire for at the end of the day. You know, once we understand the role and, you know, learn more about the company, then we'll put a game plan together as a team and we'll go market the job. You know, we'll find the best places depending on the the job and the skill set. We'll not only, you know, post the job on Dynamite Jobs to go through our network and reach out to our database. We will also go to other places that we know attract qualified candidates and good candidates. And we will do a lot of marketing, a lot of promotion to make sure we have as many eyes on the job as possible. Because I think the goal is to find the most qualified person. And there's a lot of places that they hang out that aren't your normal traditional job boards. So we want to uncover them. How critical is like the job ad itself? It's very critical now as there's a lot of competition. You know, there could be five to 10 other jobs that are very similar to yours, very similar companies that are hiring that also have the job posted. So what we need to do is make sure, one, we have a really solid job description that talks um, not only about the hard skill sets, but also like the soft skill sets, kind of tells a story of what it's like to work at the company. So I think it's critical to have a a very well-written job description that gives a good overview of the company, um, as well as a person that you're hiring for. Yeah, a lot of job ads are f***ing boring. I'm just going to flag that up. They are. (laughs) They're all fully written. They're very short. They don't really give any insight. And a lot of times they don't get a lot of applications. Most founders don't take the time to share the narrative of their company or the project that they're looking to, you know, get a crew member for. You're asking someone to change their life. You're asking a high quality person to change their life. You know, in more traditional industries, you can just lean on the fact that it's this company, it's this job, and like the candidate can fill in that narrative for themselves because you know what it means to be like a senior director of whatever at IBM. But if it's a small little company and you take that same strategy, it's not going to work as well for you because no one knows what your narrative is. Agreed. I really got to tell a story of what it's like to work there, you know, where the companies come from, kind of why you're hiring, you know, what the day-to-day life is. And all these companies that we work with are awesome. I talk to a lot of candidates for all of these different companies, and it's very easy to tell the story because they are really great company. They're really great founders. And I think people generally read the descriptions and they get excited about working there. Part of the, the initial calls that we do with candidates is not only like learn about you know, why they would be a good fit for the company and if their skill set matches up. But even something that's bigger is like, is the company a good fit for them? Like, is their personality going to fit in? Like, do they want to work at a smaller company? Well, candidates will tell you things that they might not tell the employer that will give you some real genuine insight into whether or not they're a good fit. Whereas typically when a candidate's speaking directly to the employer, they're just no holds barred. Like, hire me, pay me money. Yeah, I think they're a little more open. Like, it's a little more of a casual conversation. It's really digging into like what's motivating them. Like, why are they looking for a new position? Like, are they looking for a remote first culture? Okay, cool. This is probably a good fit for this company. Do they want to work maybe at like a 10 person company? Okay, this company is 10 people. All right, they'd be a good fit there. So it's really understanding like what's motivating them and the type of opportunity they're looking for. And that also has to line up with the company, what they're hiring for. So a lot of our initial calls are just screening for that to make sure, you know, it's a match for both sides. 
one of the things we talked about earlier is like this idea of going out and marketing the jobs. I think everybody knows like the big players in remote right now are basically dynamite jobs. We work remotely remote. Okay. Is there any other site that's like kind of preeminent in the work from home? There's a couple smaller ones for like niche skill sets for maybe like developers, like Ruby groups, react developers, um, Laravel developers. So there are some niche job sites that we use. And then, of course, there's like sort of the more incumbent ones. There's uh, Indeed.com. LinkedIn is a big one. So LinkedIn, Indeed, Monster, like the old traditional job boards just really don't do it for me anymore when I'm looking for candidates. Like they just, it's a lot of junk that's out there. It's, it's, it's not a lot of qualified candidates. And we just don't get a, a ton of good results for it. So honestly, we stay away from even the LinkedIn's and the Indeed's right now. And then we have basically kind of like Facebook group hustles, like forum hustles. We have very niche job board hustles. Like, Yeah, we have a huge Excel sheet with all of the job boards we've used You know, over the last couple of years. The success rates, a lot of them don't work. There are a couple that do. But yeah, there's also like job boards is, are great and it drives a lot of traffic. But if we're not finding the, the candidates or they're just not out there, like we definitely need to go to the forums, you know, the discords, the telegram groups. We need to get in there and, you know, really find where people are hanging out. One of the uh, internal jokes at our company, Greg, is like how hard you are on like candidates versus like the rest of us. <laughs> so like, you know, yeah. Ian and myself, like a lot of us, we're such optimists, we're entrepreneurs. We're like, oh, this person is really cool. This person's really interesting. And you're like, dog shit, dog shit, dog shit, dog shit. And like, you're just used to this process of like finding those gems. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things that just X them out immediately, like obviously location or like, you know, if they're applying for a developer job, but they've never been a developer. So those are easy to X out. But then the other thing is like, I'm looking for, you know, the top out of, you know, 100 candidates, like I'm looking for the top three. Like, I'm not saying these aren't like good people or they're, they can't be good candidates at certain places or certain, you know, jobs. But like for the ones that I want to, that I feel comfortable kind of putting my name behind and the Dynamite Jobs name behind, like... I want to find the best candidates out of, you know, 100 applications. Like our goal is to save these companies a lot of time and only send them people that are going to make for productive conversations. So if they tell me they're looking for X, I want to make sure the person that I give them, you know, has X. What are the mistakes our clients are making? One that jumps out is sometimes, you know, looking for somebody that's maybe not out there. We call it a unicorn or maybe they're you know, their compensation isn't in line with what they should be hiring for from a skill set perspective. Sometimes not interviewing quickly enough if, you know, they're seeing good candidates because the market is so is so tight. Like if they get, you know, a good candidate, you know, whether it's through us or somebody else, like they need to jump and interview that person quickly because there's a good chance they're going to have two or three other things going on. I think that's a good one. And if, you know, you talk to a candidate and they don't hear anything back for like a week, you know, a week and a half, then their, you know, their excitement about the role is going to go down a lot. Are there any other counterintuitive things that you know that our clients might not know? So soft skills with me is really big. Like, how do they respond to me? Are they responsive through email? You know, are they professional? You know, are they able to describe their experience in detail? Um, and when I say like detail, if I ask them a question about a certain skill set or a certain job they had or a project they might have been on, can they give me enough detail to where I feel like they actually did the work themselves? 
is a key indicator, like if they really know what they're doing. But I guess to go back to soft skills, I think the biggest thing is um, probably responsiveness. You know, somebody who gets back to you in a timely manner, you know, somebody who says they're going to do what they're, you know, what they say they're going to do, they deliver on a timeline. If they're going to get an exercise back to me in three days, they, you know, they do it. Those are some red flags for me if candidates are unresponsive and don't stick to the deadlines that we talk about. If we were like to make a movie about recruiting, one of the trailer taglines would be like, where do you want to be in five years? Like that's a classic like entrepreneur question in an interview. What are some classic questions that you ask in your interviews? Yeah, I definitely don't ask that. That's I don't know if I would follow the, the answer too well. That just seems like too far of a timeline. I don't know what I'm doing next week. But some things that are important to me, what's motivating you? What's maybe missing in your current role that you're ideally looking for? You know, what are some things that are important to you in your next role, your next company, their availability? You know, of course, compensation comes into play. Can you figure out if someone's lazy by talking to them or how does that work? Sometimes by the communication style. Yeah, you can tell, you know, maybe in the video interview, they're not, you know, too put together. Maybe they don't seem like they really, you know, want to be there at the end of the day is a huge flag for me. Um, Another thing that's really important is, before I talk to people, of course, everybody's seen the job description um, because they applied for the role. But I always ask, have they, you know, have they reviewed the job description? Have they had a chance to go to the company website? You know, what do they think about the company? Is that a place, you know, that, you know, and I try and get some information from them to make sure they've done their research before jumping on a call with me, because to me, that shows that they're genuinely interested in the company that they're applying for. If they've done their research, if they haven't, that's a huge red flag to me. It just seems like they're applying anywhere and everywhere. But I think it's really important for them to not only be a good fit skill set wise, but also like a personality fit or a cultural fit with a company and just doing a little bit on the research on the company, I think goes a long way. What are some roles that are becoming increasingly difficult or changing in 2021? For example, one of the things we've noticed internally is that like remote WordPress developers based in America, like that stock is skyrocketing right now. Like you have to pay a lot more for that than you did last year or the year before. So what I'm noticing is um, I think technical jobs are really hard right now. Um, Developers are in really high demand. Ruby's really hard right now. It's kind of a niche technology. So we're having some struggles with that, with finding good candidates. But right now, the technical jobs are some of the ones that are the, the hardest to attract the, the talent. If you had a uh, maybe like a young person say like, hey, I'm going to go to some online university or I'm going to go to real university in the next month, what would be like the majors that would be like really profitable for them to focus on both technical and non-technical right now? Yeah, technical, you know, front-end development is huge. You know, React, great skill set. Angular, great skill set. Node is a great skill set. Getting into DevOps. But then also non-technical, like marketing jobs. Like content creation is huge right now. We're talking a lot of companies who are trying to hire like marketing managers, growth managers, So non-technical, I would really focus around marketing type of jobs and how to create content. Uh, There's a lot of people hiring for that right now. Very cool. Well, Greg, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Shout out to our colleague, colleague, our team member. Shout out to Greg from our very own 
Dynamite Jobs. Thanks for listening. Got feedback on this one. I'm at Dan at TropicalMBA.com. A couple little announcements. Yeah, I wanted to like, I guess, do a philosophical overview of this strategy because I'm seeing it everywhere. And, you know, it's working for so many people. So how do you grow a profitable services business? You look at departments or like executive level people that big companies have, and then you just break them down into services. So look at this week's sponsor, ecomcfo.co. Essentially what Sam, who's the founder of that service, is suggesting is saying, hey, instead of hiring a CFO who's going to come in, they're going to make over six figures, and then they're going to want budget to do things as well. Why don't you just pay our service fee and we'll have a whole team working for you. And that's kind of what we're doing with this Dynamite Jobs recruiting as well. We're basically saying, do you really want to go hire an HR department? And how many HR people are you going to need to have to duplicate what we can do with a whole team over here? And now even HR departments are calling us and they're saying, yeah, we don't want to grow in We have enough to do. We have enough employees to manage. We want you guys to do these campaigns on our behalf. So it's kind of interesting. And I think you can look around to all different functional areas of a business, all different niches of business and just find like, hey, here's a really expensive function in terms of you know talent. I think this is a trend that you can jump on and think about that, especially in this new like remote first world we're entering Big companies are seeking to find ways to get executive level function things done for cheaper. And a productized service is a great way to do that. So we've seen a lot of examples of this over the years on the show. And I think it's just going to become more and more popular. So I'm really pro this sort of fractionalized executive or fractionalized department served as a productized service to growing businesses. So Like we mentioned, uh, Dynamite Jobs did more sales in Q1 than in the entirety of last year. So we're really cruising along, making a lot of hires ourselves, and we'll keep you guys updated on the progress. So that's it for this week. We'll be back next week where we'll be going over one of my favorite business books of all time. See you then. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.